to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I have extreme paranoia going to the bathroom and checking for blood. After I go to the bathroom, this constant fear of something's going to go wrong has just been so deeply ingrained Mm. into me. Mm. And I know that that's extremely common for anyone that, you know, has or hasn't even been through a loss. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Infertility is one of the most challenging things a woman can go through. I've been there. My friend Kira is, well, has been really struggling. We've been friends for some time. And when I became pregnant recently, I was incredibly nervous to tell her. Would it change our friendship? Would she be triggered? I knew how jealous I was as friends fell pregnant around me when I was trying so hard to conceive. Kira has a tremendous story of her own. She's brutally honest today about her experiences, and I thought it could be really helpful for some other women out there. This is more of a conversation between two friends rather than an interview around infertility, pregnancy loss, and miracles. Content warning, if you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. Kira, when we organised this chat about, I want to say four or five months ago, it was going to be an entirely different thing. And all of a sudden, this story about infertility felt really strange because I just found out I was pregnant and I told you up front. I just want you to be really honest. Was that weird for you? Well, I actually told you that you were pregnant. Do you remember that? (laughs) Did you? I said, I feel like you're pregnant. And you said, yes. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So maybe I was trying not to tell you because I was really sensitive to the fact that you had been trying for how long? Oh, three years, three years. And had had some quite intense losses. When, you know, you're at the age, we're at the age where we're surrounded by pregnant women. Was I a trigger for you when you said, I felt, I feel like you're pregnant? 
I guess for me, I never know when someone's going to trigger me. And I think you get less triggered when you know somebody's gone through loss. And I think for me, I was overwhelmed with so much happiness when you told me because I knew what you had been through and I was there for you when you went through your miscarriage. So it's sort of, it's really hit and miss with triggers. I mean, of all bloody people, Bindi Irwin triggered me. Did she? And I actually put it up on my Instagram a few days ago, you know, it's so odd the people that trigger you. Bindi Irwin triggered me and I had probably 300 people message me saying, I can't believe Bindi Irwin triggered you too. I was ruined for a full day. And obviously that's nothing against poor Bindi Irwin because I don't know her personally. I don't know her story. I don't know anything, but it's just, it's just so funny how some people trigger you. And unfortunately, For me, I had to mute a few close friends that told me that they were pregnant because I just couldn't mentally cope with their happiness. And I felt so much guilt and shame around that. And it's, it's really confronting to feel this jaded jealousy when you should be so happy for these people because this is one of the happiest times of their lives. Can you give us a little bit of context around the three years of you trying? Yeah, so I've had six pregnancy losses. And I guess for me, the first two that I had, I didn't really know what was going on. Um, I wasn't really told of my options. It was very much go home, take painkillers, you'll be right, you're young. And uh, it wasn't until January 2019 when I got a positive pregnancy test and I just instantly knew something was wrong and I had sharp pain in one side. I had a lot of, uh, a lot of weird feelings that this just wasn't going to work out the way that I wanted it to. And so I had what I didn't know at the time was a heterotopic pregnancy. So it was a dual pregnancy, one in my uterus and one in my fallopian tube. And so I went up instantly to the hospital because I knew that something wasn't right. The pain was very different to what I had experienced in my previous miscarriages. And it was very much, you know, oh, yeah, okay, we'll scan you, kind of eye roll at the emergency department. And it was very much like nothing's wrong. Um, it, you know, it's very early on. Let's see how you go. And I felt so much shame that I had wasted these doctors' time after leaving the hospital, but it didn't get any better, the pain. And so this went on for four weeks of me being turned away. Uh, I eventually miscarried. And so once I miscarried, it was very much, I'll sit in the waiting room. I was bleeding, passing out in pain, and I had to sit in the waiting room with my partner in just absolute shock of what was going on and the way I was treated. And I was even told to go get psychiatric help because it was just a miscarriage and, you know, my reactions and my physical pain wasn't valid. It was really confronting. And then uh, I went up after four weeks and I said, if I don't get scanned right now, 
I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel like I am dying and no one is taking me seriously. And they again said, well, we don't have the staff to scan you right now. So we'll, we'll write you a script to go get scanned at an external place, but you'll have to pay for it. So I was like, okay, whatever. I had been conditioned to think that nothing was wrong and I had no support. I was documenting uh, what I was going through because I was Googling my heart out, which is a big no-no, but everyone does it. And I just couldn't find the answers that I was looking for. And Instagram was just filled with all of this bliss of, you know, happiness. And I was really feeling alone and a lot of guilt. So anyway, I went up and got scanned and my partner didn't even come because he had been conditioned to think that, you know, my poor girlfriend's got something mentally wrong with her. And look, I've, I'm no, you know, I've, I've been experienced, I've been opened to trauma in the past from sexual assault as a child. So I do have PTSD and depression. And so I thought that this was just a trigger of my trauma. And so I was really worried that there was something mentally wrong with me. And my partner was sort of very much like, I need to support you no matter what, but you know, let's maybe get you in to book in with a psychologist because I don't think you're coping. Anyway, so I was in the scan room and the sonographer, I think that's what they're called. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She just, her face went white and she's like, can you just hold on a second? Gets a doctor, doctor comes in, doctor's face goes white. They leave the room. I had no idea what was going on and they both come back in and they're like, look, we've called the hospital. They're expecting you. We can either get an ambulance for you or you can drive up. Um, we can see quite a lot of fluid in your abdomen. And I was like, oh, no, I'm right. <laughs> Don't worry. Nothing's wrong. So I went home, got my partner. I was pretty upset, but I sort of just thought, you know, maybe I needed a DNC because I hadn't miscarried properly. And then on my way up to the hospital, I get a call saying, we think you've actually had twins and we think one's been stuck in a, in your fallopian tube. And I still just didn't think anything, you know, I didn't understand the severity of what was happening to me because again, I had been conditioned to think a miscarriage is so common. You can fix it with painkillers. If you overreact, it's just a, you know, you need to go speak to a shrink, which is obviously so incorrect. And um, when I went up to the hospital, it was a completely different different feeling. There was stress in the air. They knew that they had stuffed up. Mm. And they sort of, you know, they rushed me in. I had been passing out at home. I had been feeling like I was having contractions, not that I've ever experienced a contraction, but it felt like contractions. I had shoulder tip pain. I had left hand-sided pain, which is classic ectopic pain. I had actually gone in the day before to the hospital saying, I've got an ectopic pregnancy, scan me. And they're like, you don't have an ectopic pregnancy. And so I get up there and they're like, we think you've got a heterotopic pregnancy or an ectopic pregnancy. And I think I, I lost it at that point because... I felt like I had finally been heard, but not because of what I was saying. It was because of what my body had finally told them. And it was just the trauma that I have walking into hospitals now is 
it's really confronting because I felt like I was going to die alone because my partner was due to go to Bali the next day. And they actually convinced him to go because they said the chances of this being a heterotopic pregnancy are so rare, it's probably just a ruptured cyst. And so I looked over, my partner was going on a box and he was just like, I'll stay. And I was like, don't be stupid. If there's nothing wrong with me, I'm going to never forgive myself. And he left. And I told him to leave. Is this all while you're at the hospital? Or while I'm at the hospital. And he was, you know, he was really upset. And I'm like, if you don't go, I'm never going to forgive myself. There's nothing wrong with me. It's, it's nothing. Because I had had four weeks of constantly being told, Nothing is wrong. So did they not know at that time if it, I don't know how to say that word properly, a het. Heterotopic. So heterotopic is really rare. It's like one in 32,000 women have it. And they didn't know at that point when they said for him to go that they didn't have a, they have to go internally to see that or? Yeah, it's, uh, so I've like requested documentation and it's quite murky. Some people were telling me this was definitely an ectopic or a heterotopic pregnancy. And then the gynecology team were sort of saying the chances of this being a heterotopic pregnancy are so slim, it's probably just a ruptured cyst, which is causing all of this free fluid. And so... And one more thing, what's the difference between the ectopic and the heterotopic so the ectopic, so basically the heterotopic is both an ectopic and a, like a pregnancy. So because I had already miscarried, they were treating it as an ectopic pregnancy, but in fact it was a dual pregnancy. So both was happening. Yeah. And so they delayed my surgery because it was Australia Day at that point. And uh, I pretty much had to, you know, I was bleeding massively internally. I was passing out. I was going in and out of consciousness. Um, they wheeled me up to go get surgery and then this the staff was too fatigued so they let me go back into my room for eight hours and at that point I thought I was dying and my partner was on a plane and I was alone and it was really confronting because having no support and no safety when you're going through something because an ectopic pregnancy can kill people. It's pretty rare to kill people, but you're bleeding internally. You've got a ruptured organ. And it was just really confronting. So after all of that, the pain just didn't really stop. So I had surgery, which was rushed. And uh, because, you know, by the time they went to operate I had been bleeding so much internally that you know there was a lot of blood and so I had been dealing with this mental trauma of a not being heard b going through another miscarriage and feeling like my body had failed and then going through this physical trauma of pain and recovery and something really dramatic happened in your surgery though so they took it out and so what I found that they actually did, which is quite old school and has led to much greater issues with my chronic pain, is they actually left a stump of my fallopian tube in there. And so the normal procedure is to remove the entirety of that fallopian tube 
so you don't get any risk of having another ectopic. You don't have adhesions growing on this this stump. And in my case, and I truly believe that I was then diagnosed 16 months later with surgery with severe endometriosis. So that's interesting. You didn't have endo prior. You weren't diagnosed with that prior. I was never diagnosed. I didn't really have any heavy periods. No symptoms. Uh, No symptoms. And look, I'm well aware that people can have stage four endo and have no symptoms at all. And someone with stage one endo can have, you know, debilitating pain. But it's just really interesting to see that I've endured such huge trauma in my body and my mental well-being, and then all of a sudden I've developed endometriosis. And so I spoke to so many specialists about endo post-trauma, and there is studies coming out that people after an emergency cesarean have developed endo. There was no mention of endo in my surgery notes in January 2019 when I had the ectopic. And it's just really interesting to see that, you know, it's I've been opened up into a world of endometriosis and infertility and loss that I just never thought I would ever have to experience. Because it feels like you could fall pregnant quite easily and then you had these... I'll call it four losses because there was the dual pregnancy. You had these four losses. And um, as we know, miscarriage is quite common. At that point, did you feel like, okay, I'm really struggling with my fertility? Or at that point, were you just like, well, at least, you know, I can fall pregnant. I'm just having some issues with them holding. I don't really know what I was thinking at that point. I think I was just thinking that I'd been so let down by the system and that I knew it wasn't until my fifth miscarriage or loss that I really thought, you know what, there's something going on. I'm not going to accept we don't know why you're not falling pregnant. It's just not cutting it. And so I think that's when I was like, I actually need help. I need to find the right medical team to guide me. Mm. on my journey and did you find that person or people yeah Yeah, so after I had my surgery uh in May I believe of 2020 and when they gave me this endo diagnosis I was very confronted because the pain that I had experienced was debilitating I could barely get out of bed I was very fortunate that COVID had hit so I was staying in bed I was working from home Um, and so I went to four different specialists until I settled on the person that was going to help me create my baby and the reason why it took me four specialists is because I just didn't connect, you know. Each one of these specialists served their purpose. I was, my third specialist actually diagnosed me with a genetic blood clotting condition called factor five Leiden. And uh, that was a bit of an answer there. What does that mean? So obviously I'm not a doctor. (laughs) Uh, It basically means that my body clots very easily, my blood, which cuts off blood flow to the uterus. 
And so there's a lot of data showing that it can cause a high rate of stillbirth in the second and third trimester. Mm. And I was really frustrated that it had taken me three years to finally be tested for this because I kept on going to all of my specialists. Money is not a, not a problem when it comes to this because the long-term financial effect of me being in pain and me being mm. infertile mm. far outweighs me spending $500 on a test. Does this test then backlog to the first loss? So... I then met with a hematologist after this diagnosis and he said to me that there's a lot of data showing that it actually affects implantation and early Mm. first trimester loss. So for me, that was an answer. I've had a very different situation to you, but I've had endometriosis since I was menstruating. And I was told early on that people can't fall pregnant with endometriosis, that there's going to be fertility issues. I did my AMH count and that was really low. And I had this pressure from kind of mid to late twenties of you might not have a baby and you have faced the same truth. Yeah. Can you tell me, what that is like for you, what that's like for you and your partner? I think for me, I always knew I was destined to have a family and to hear the words, we just don't know why this is happening. It could be the endo. We're not sure. It just wasn't good enough for me. And I felt so much hatred towards my body for so long because I felt that I had let myself down and I had let my partner down and how could I, you know, keep on going the way I was going. And it really took me a long time to realize that exactly what I was saying before I had to change my mindset and I had to understand that this is, I had been put on this journey I've been opened up to this this part of the world that I never thought I would be opened up to and I needed to surrender and in the days that I couldn't be brave, I just had to hold space for myself and let myself mourn for what I considered to be a loss of part of my life. But I always, I always knew that I knew that I had children waiting for me because I also felt like, will my husband be okay with this not happening for us? And I, I don't think that that would be okay. And I think that, you know, so many relationships, I'm not saying he would have left me, but I know the strain and the ending of so many relationships because of that pressure that is on the woman most of the time. Oh, the pressure's very much on the woman. Did your partner, I mean, he's amazing, but did you ever feel like, or did you always trust that this was going to happen? Oh, look, don't get me wrong. It definitely had a lot of seeds of doubt going through, you know, the past few years. But I think that I just kept on reminding myself that, I needed to be on this path 
and I'd been opened up to so many new friendships and so many new experiences and understandings of the way that the body works that I kept on reminding myself of that. And I literally had to write it on post-it notes in my office to remind myself that this is just a really shit fucking chapter of my life Mm. and it will get better. Did you have a timeline after your endo surgery were you like this is it we're smashing it out we're having uh we we recover and we're just having sex and making a baby and if it doesn't happen yeah we do IVF or we do some alternatives or what was your plan so I was told after my endo surgery to give it three months of just healing and let me tell you that pain part of the period after mm-hmm. was excruciating and it is like your body is purging knives through your body. Mm. It is – I was for a very long time doped up on heavy painkillers and I'm very much a natural gal mm. and I just had to go, you know what, this is – you got to get this. <laughs> you got to go through this. No so, other way, yeah. No other way. And, uh, you know, I'm running businesses at the moment and I just had to get through and survive. So working from bed with a heat pack while doped up on endone was what I had to do. So after the three months, we had another miscarriage. And it was at that point where I was like, "Mm -mm, we've got to give this a red hot go. In that time, because I know when I was trying and – it wasn't working and my friends who were like drinking and partying and never had an issue were just like falling pregnant so easily i am it's it's i with a lot of shame i say this but i was really jealous and i was really i felt ugly in i was happy for them but i was just like what what how come them? Oh, a hundred percent. Like, and I think we never really explore that or share that as women on the ugly part of infertility or struggling with falling pregnant of like, why, why is it so easy for them? Yeah. Do you, did you live that? Oh, it is going through that whole TTC trying to conceive is one of the ugliest parts and points that I've ever experienced in my life. It is all consuming. It is so unromantic. It is heartbreaking, shattering. And the, the social jealousy and jaded perception about people around you and people you see on social media is disgusting but Mm. it you can't help it I think that one thing that I knew I needed to do when I announced you know my next pregnancy I always said to myself I needed to be empathetic and mindful Mm. that people might be triggered by me so triggered Oh my God. Yes, of course. And it's just, it's such a horrible feeling to feel 
jealousy and this, well, how can someone get knocked up so easily? But for me, I've struggled. Why? Why do they get it? Do I have some past karma that I'm working out? And the advice that you get from people just saying, delete your app and it will happen is just you want to throw your phone across the room, <laughs> across the room. And it's just really heartbreaking because all of these people deserve happiness and mm-hmm. all of these people are, are trying to come from a place of sincerity. But it's just, I think you just have to surrender and just be okay with muting people on Facebook and muting people on Instagram and, you know, telling people that you're really struggling with their happiness and it's it's really it's such a hard thing to experience it really is Mm. and I hope nobody listening thinks you know poorly of you or I or anyone that feels that way but it's just it's so normal to feel this way ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And I think you taught me something else, which was no matter what, you're going to trigger people like you just are, no matter what your delivery, no matter how sensitive you are, there are going to be people that are so deep in their longing that you're going to upset them. And there's also a part of it where you can't take that on, especially being early pregnant, like you've got your own shit going on your own fears yeah can you help us understand that because I mean you've lived really deeply both sides what is it now that makes you feel kind of you need to protect your own peace as well I'm probably not the best person to speak to about protecting and letting other people's emotions really weigh on you because just before we got on this call I was reading about this, a person had messaged me and she told me when she was four weeks and five days pregnant and it was, you know, such a beautiful thing to be going through with her and she's just told me that the heartbeat isn't there and they're not sure and just I relive this moment over and over and I just feel so much immense sadness that I really do need to hold that space for them. I feel like that's my duty. But then I also have to get up and walk into a different room and really take a deep breath. I do a lot of, I do meditation twice a day. I do box breathing, which is a really simple technique, which my psychologist has taught me to really calm your nervous system down. And uh, it's just about learning different techniques. And so my psychologist has also taught me this concept of having a safe container And it's, you know, if I'm going along my day and something, you know, traumatic or triggering or upsetting me really affects me, I need to take a deep breath and put that into a container and then not, um, you know, deal with that until I'm ready 
But the biggest thing is, is to not let that container overflow. Mm. So it's this, you know, this kettle effect that you really need to get at that perfect balance. And so talking about how I'm feeling to people is really important. And people understand that people deal with grief in different ways. And I'm, I'm so honored that I have allowed people to tell me what they're going through and it's yeah I think it's more about implementing tools and techniques that work for you I want to say seven or eight weeks after I told you my news something happened Mm. can you tell us so I did IVF and I went into IVF uh not expecting much the first round. I've got beautiful close friends to me that have done 10 rounds of IVF and it's a real struggle. And I really went into it with an open mind, not expecting the outcome that I desired at that point in time. I did everything that I could possibly. I, you know, was really eating, you know, I'm extremely healthy and health conscious. That's just in my DNA. I went and got a bloody psychic cleanse. I, you know, really upped my meditations. I really tried to allow myself to be the best possible version of myself going into IVF. Mm. But, you know, during my fertility struggles and my endo, I put on weight. And I always had this, you know, seed of doubt in my mind. Well, you know, if I've got an unhealthy BMI, am I not going to be able to conceive? Am I not going to be able to give this baby what they need to thrive? And I really had to remind myself that this was the body that I needed to be at and needed to be in to be able to actually nurture and thrive mm. a little seed. So it was this toing and froing and um during my scans, they found endometriosis again. So I had a endometrioma or a chocolate cyst in my right ovary. And I wasn't developing as many follicles as I had hoped. So basically there are stages of IVF. So the first sort of stage is this stimulation um, phase where you want to create as many follicles as possible for eggs to grow in or eggs to be in to be able to then go on and create embryos or freeze your eggs if you're freezing your eggs without overstimulating your body and creating too many, which means your ovaries get too big. Mm. And so I went in there thinking 15 follicles, that sounds about right, going to get this shit done. And my first scan came and they're like, oh, you got endometriosis. I was like, I shouldn't have any endo left. (laughs) And sure as well, they were like, well, we can see something that looks a bit odd. And it didn't look like I was getting many follicles. So at that point, it was looking like they would be collecting six follicles. And I kept on reminding myself that it's quality over quantity when it comes to IVF. And I had had a friend recently who got 20 eggs collected and none of them fertilized with sperm. So I kept on reminding myself that you've got this. 
I was doing positive affirmations. I had post-it notes all over me, you know, saying my body's responding well to this. My uterus is going to implant embryos. And we got five follicles, five eggs collected. And four of those eggs fertilized, which was a really strong number. But then I also had in my mind the drop-off rate from day one of where they put the sperm and the egg and let them fertilize to day five, which is when they do the transfer or they freeze it if you've overstimulated. It's a huge drop-off. It's something like 60% drop-off and then to day three and then another 50 or 60% drop-off. So the stats that I was thinking in my head was I've gone through this shit show of egg collection for me, which was extremely painful because of my endometrioma. Um, all for fucking nothing. <laughs> and so day three, the embryologist calls me telling me that I've got three eggs that are looking good, three embryos that are looking good. And so I was quite shocked, but I kept on reminding myself, I am as healthy as I can be at this present moment. I know my eggs are going to be healthy. I know the sperm is healthy. I've been pumping in full of vitamins. <laughs> and yeah, it came on today of transfer. And we had two beautiful embryos that had made it. And the embryo that they transferred was hatching, which is a good sign of, you know, that it was going to stick in for implantation. And the whole process, yes, it's upsetting to not get the numbers you want. And your body's full of emotions and hormones, but it is so incredible to see life being created in a tiny little dish and the transfer because of COVID my partner couldn't come through was just such a fascinating experience to just be pregnant and to have a little embryo it's it was just the weirdest feeling and I did all of the IVF old wives tale I went and got pineapple, Macca's <laughs> chips, and all of these weird and wacky things that probably have no science-backed <laughs> evidence, but I still did it. And um, I am extremely fortunate that that embryo is now my, my son that's inside of me. And mm. I've hit the second trimester and I... I intuitively knew that he was here for a very long time, but I had overstimulation after transfer. I had pain. I had shoulder tip pain because my ovaries were shrinking. I had extreme paranoia going to the bathroom and checking for blood after I go to the bathroom this constant fear of something's going to go wrong has just been so deeply ingrained mm. into me. Mm. And I know that that's extremely common for anyone that, you know, has or hasn't even been through a loss. So it's just the most special moment for me to finally 
hopefully be near my happy ending. And I have to take blood thinner injections every day for my blood clotting issue. And it's, it's definitely, you know, I've got a long journey to go. I'm a high risk pregnancy. There's a lot of risk involved in my birth. Um, but I'm just so grateful that I'm finally here. And it was really odd. I was interviewed the other day and a journalist asked me, if you could get your diagnosis of your factor V laden back a few years ago, would you have wanted to have known? And it was a question that no one had ever asked me. And I said, no. And I was so shocked with my answer Mm. because I think that the person that I have become and the empathy that I have learnt is something that I needed to go through and I think that this has been part of my journey to use my voice finally for those that just haven't found theirs yet. And I think you you mentioned something so important to so many women that have had losses or have struggled is this overwhelming fear, this perhaps irrational, maybe not this fear that comes because I still have it. I had it with my first pregnancy that I've got my beautiful boy now and I have it now. And it's almost like the third trimester thing doesn't feel safe for me. Yeah. Even delivering like that needs, do you know what I mean? All of the things that can happen are in my mind. Uh, Is that your truth? I think with every day that goes on, that fear is getting less and less. For me, I have done everything that I possibly can to give my son the best chance of survival and the best start to life. I've got an incredible obstetrician. I'm getting a doula. I'm going to do a hypnobirthing course. My mindset is so crucial and I just need to surrender to this feeling of everything will be okay. Mm. And if it isn't, you're going to get through this. Mm. But also, I mean, going to the bathroom and checking for blood every single day is not, you know, that person that's saying I'm going to be spiritually connected to this child. So like, and can I tell you when this child is earthside, the fears don't really get any I know. better. Trust me. I've been learning that. So, uh, um, I know that, and I, and I do really want to acknowledge that this is your gift And this could also be triggering to so many women that haven't been given theirs yet. Yeah. Um, Is there something that, I mean, God, I know we never want advice. It's like shut the F up when you're in that state. But is there anything that helped you? Did you ever get any words of wisdom that helped? When somebody told me that had obviously been through what I was going through, that you've just got to remind yourself that this is just a really shit chapter of your life and it might be an extended chapter Mm. but there's more to this book than this chapter 
it might seem like this is a never-ending part of your life, but this is not going to define you. And I promise you that it will get better. Did you find it more helpful or less helpful to connect with women in the same boat? Oh, so much more helpful. I think that exactly what we were talking about, this irrational fear. I'm in a, I I have to mention Pink Elephants, which are an incredible charity that I stumbled across after my heterotopic pregnancy. And I wish I had found them earlier because it's a group of women that aren't going to be giving you advice. They've got counselors, which I've never, I never use because I've got my psychologist, but it's a group online of just women where they're not going to give you that advice that you don't want and don't need. It's just, you go on there and you tell them your story and it's hearing other stories and hearing stories of hope and support, which is just really eye-opening. I mean, I then joined the Pregnancy After Loss Facebook group and I announced it to them before I told so many people. And it was really, you know, asking them just to listen to my story and listen to the fear that I was experiencing. And these women are just so incredibly well these people you know no matter how they identify are just so happy for you Mm. and it is just the most overwhelmingly positive experience to be part of a community that know what you're going through and I think that's why I find it so important for me to show all of this life that I'm living online because that bloody highlight reel of Instagram and social media can really get you down in those dark days. So I think it's just important to speak your truth when you feel comfortable to. Connection is paramount and powerful. Yeah. Our final question today is who are you and no one's watching? Oh my gosh. I completely forgot about this question. (laughs) (laughs) I am a homebody that loves a good cuddle with my dogs and I'm a very gentle person with a very stubborn personality and I just want to feel love. So beautiful. Thank that's you. A, I'm pretty sure that's not the answer that I told myself I would say <laughs> about a year ago <laughs> when I listened to the first episode. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but I really um, appreciate your courage today. It has been, it's been really traumatic for you and infertility and the struggle, the TTC for each and every person is so different, but I really loved hearing your story and you know, you're, you're getting your blessing and I'm, I'm just so grateful that you're strong enough to talk to us. Cause I know we've been trying to plan this in person as well. And you, I was so ill and then you got really sick from your morning sickness. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate the strength. Cause I know you're still, you're still in it, you know, it's, and it's big to, to have this conversation. So thank you. Thank you for allowing me to 
share my experience and my journey. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting, it's quirky, it's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.